Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just 23 years ago, our daughter Kelly was graduating from high school, and we decided to take a trip as a family to celebrate. She wanted to go to the island of St. Martin down in the Caribbean, and so we got a timeshare, and the four of us flew down there and just had a great time on the beach and, and enjoying being together and celebrating. When we left, we were going to be flying from St. Martin over to San Juan, Puerto Rico, on a small little plane. But then from there, we were flying on home on one of these big jumbo jets. And from there, we we're going to fly to Atlanta, and from Atlanta, then home to Oklahoma City. The flight from St. Martin went well, it was no problem, little puddle jumper. And then we got to San Juan, and of course, it was truly one of those big planes. We got two seats and an aisle, four seats, an aisle, two seats. I mean, you have 350 people or more on one of these things. And I like to get on the plane and sit down and, and just watch people coming on. People struggle coming on an airplane. That's a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> just kind of sit there and see people coming on, trying to figure their luggage out and what they're going to do. And, and so I was sitting there watching a lot of people coming on that airplane. And then I noticed there was a lady coming on, and she just didn't look good. I couldn't tell what the issue was, but I just didn't feel like something was good. And she came on by and she was traveling with another person and they sat down right across the aisle from me, right behind our children. Well, I'm sitting there reading my book and kind of watching people come in and getting ready and finally we take off and we head towards Atlanta. We'd been underway for just a little while and I happened to look over my shoulder and I saw that this lady had out her um, little barf bag and she was gagging. She wasn't throwing up but she was just gagging and, and I felt so bad for her and I thought oh my goodness I don't feel like it's that turbulent I wouldn't expect her to be getting sick but you know you never can tell so I, I was praying for her. Well a, a little time went by and, and I looked back over and a, a flight attendant had come along and now she'd given her a really big bag and she had her whole head in a bag. And she was still gagging and uh, she still didn't seem like she was throwing up, but she was still gagging. And I went, my goodness gracious. And so I, I prayed for her and I went back to my book, turned back around a little while. And then I saw she was just rigid in her seat and she was just shaking stiff as a board. Her eyes were kind of rolled back in her head. And I thought, Oh my goodness, she's having a seizure. Something is happening. And about that time, both flight attendants came back. They were supposed to be serving us breakfast and coffee and juice. They were taking care of this lady. And you could tell she was not well. And so they were doing this. And suddenly one of them went up to the front and got on the microphone and said, is there a doctor on the plane? And I thought, wow, I've seen that in movies but I've never been on a plane where they're going. Is there a doctor on the plane? And the call sign went on and this man stood up. He had on a uniform. He was a flight surgeon in the military 
And so they got him and he came over and sat down beside her and got out his little um, kit and he began taking her vital signs. And again, she just still was just, just so rigid and shaking and just, it just did not look good. So about that time, here comes the pilot and he comes down the aisle. He, he stands about 6'4", big guy, broad shoulders. And so help me, his name was Captain Bob. Captain Bob came down the aisle and he knelt down right beside me um, because she was right there. So I, I'm just kind of listening right over his shoulder as he's trying to talk to this flight surgeon. And, and he said, I've contacted approach control. We've been given clearance to make an emergency landing. Um, you need to tell me, what do we need to do? And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, we're going to make an emergency landing? I mean, it's 350 people on here. I mean, we're never going to get home today. Who knows where we're going to be landing? And I was focusing kind of all on myself, and I thought, I, you need to change your attitude here, Bob. I mean, if that was you, if that was a member of your family, how would you want them to be acting right now? So I worked at improving my attitude, and I kept on praying for her and the doctor. And then I heard the, the pilot say, I'm going to go back, and I'll come back in just a little bit, but you need to tell us what we're going to do. So we went away. And I saw her, him then whispering to this woman a little bit, and then he gave her something, and she took a pill, it looked like. They lowered down the tray table, and they got a pillow, and she laid her head down, and no time at all, she was out. And I thought, he must have given her a Valium or some sort of sedative, I don't know, but she was gone. The pilot came back down the aisle, knelt down beside me again and, and said to the flight surgeon, well, what do we need to do? And he said, she's not sick. She's just afraid. Afraid? You're going to make us have an emergency landing and you're going to mess everybody's life up with 350 people because you're afraid? My attitude went south again. I had to work on that a little bit and goes, well, okay, I'll pray for her, continue to pray for her and what's going on. She slept all the way to Atlanta. We finally got really close to Atlanta and when we just about got there, she started coming too and she realized that we were getting ready to come into land. She started shaking again and she went stiff as a board and her eyes kind of rolled back up in her head and we came in and we landed and as soon as we were on the ground and taxiing, she was fine. We came to a stop, she got off the plane, she was perfectly fine, joking, laughing, walked off. And I'm watching her walk off the plane and I'm thinking, are you believing this? I mean, she was so afraid, she was sick. I mean, physically sick. Her fear was out of control. She was paralyzed. And then it's like I had a voice speak in my head. Aren't you being rather judgmental and condemning? Haven't you ever been so afraid that you're sick? Haven't you ever been so afraid you're paralyzed? Haven't you ever been so afraid you can't eat, you don't laugh? Hadn't your fear been out of control? 
I think it has been for all of us. It's one of the things that happens in life. It's easy for our fear to take control and to steal our joy. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Finding Joy. And as I was thinking about it, I decided we want to talk about this hymn, a hymn that I've been singing since I was a kid. How firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? How Firm a Foundation was written in 1787, we believe, by Robert Keane. He was in England, and he wrote this, and he's making a theological statement of, it is, your foundation is laid in His excellent Word. Then the next six, it has six stanzas, we don't always sing them all, but there were six more stanzas, and he went and found a scripture for each of these things that would show, here is what you your foundation, why you don't have to be afraid because you have His Word. The second verse is, Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am your God, I'll still give you aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. If you recognize it, it is our scripture lesson this morning. It's Isaiah 41, 10. That's what the scripture is from Isaiah this morning. To the people of Israel, Isaiah came as a prophet somewhere in the 700s in the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel was being attacked by Assyria. And the southern kingdom of Judah was so afraid, what's going to happen? The Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, Judah, carried them all away, but did not conquer the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom would go on until 586, almost another 150 years. So scholars believe that Isaiah 1 through 39 is written by the prophet Isaiah, but Isaiah 40 on was written by a disciple of Isaiah, someone who had been in the school of Isaiah, if you will. Because chapters 40 on deal with a different subject. Now the people of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had come and conquered the southern kingdom. And there he destroyed the temple and he took the elite and took them back to Babylon. That's about 586. And now they've been living in Babylon for 50 to 75 years. And they missed their homeland, the promised land. They missed the temple that was destroyed. And now they're hearing word that the Persians are coming, Cyrus the Great. And if Cyrus is coming, there's going to be a battle with the Babylonians. What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen economically? They've been trying to put their lives together now in captivity, as scared as they are, and now the future is so uncertain and the people of Israel are afraid. And so Isaiah says, God has a word for you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand. 
what an important word it was for the people of Israel, but I think what an important word it is for you and me today. Living in a world where we are facing such an uncertain future, with so much strife and struggles politically, but in a world where we haven't talked about nuclear war in 50 years. A world of such economic uncertainty, the first time in history to have stocks and bonds go down at the same time. Inflation running away. No, we live in this time where things are happening that don't happen. But they are. And it's so easy to be afraid. And yet in this time, I believe we hear the word, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand. If you and I are going to know joy, then you and I have to finally be able to deal and confront our fears. How do we do that? I think there's two things to hear this morning. First of all, what we hear is, fear not, for I am with you. That's the key. I am with you. So often when we are afraid, it's the very thing we forget is that we are not alone. It is God who is with us. But beyond that, it's not just God, it's one another. Because you know, one of the things that happens is when people feel afraid, they withdraw. You and I tend to withdraw from family, from friends, a family of faith. And when you feel more and more alone, when you feel further and further from God, that's when fear becomes greater and greater. It's about you and I making the commitment, we're going to do all the things we can, the spiritual disciplines, to stay close to God and to be willing to reach out to family, to friends, to those who would care. I'm having a good time right now watching all about the new NASA space program, Artemis. I mean, it's hard to believe that the United States and a number of countries working with us now are going back to the moon. And from the moon, we're going on to Mars. We're going to uh, uh, take off our Artem launch, Artemis 1, November the 14th. We're talking a couple weeks from now. And this rocket is going to go further into space than any of our rocket programs have gone. And it's going to be circling the moon, gone more than 20 days. It's unmanned but it's preparing us for the second launch where we will be going back to the moon. It's about to get really exciting. And we're going to have people who live on the moon build a colony to show that we can do it. And once we can do that, then we go to Mars. Well, it's going to be an exciting time. And I've been reading all about it. And I came across a man who has already been chosen to be one of the astronauts to be a part of the Artemis program who's going to go to the moon, maybe live on the moon. His name is Victor Glover. Victor Glover is so excited. He is really an incredible astronaut and human being. It turned out that Victor Glover um, has been chosen, as I said, to go to the moon. And as he was reflecting on this, he actually found himself being very anxious. He said that when he got a call from Houston and they started saying, we want you to come and be a part of this training and go, he started thinking, am I good enough? What if I don't do this right? What if they 
they find that I'm not really the special person they think I am. He started comparing himself to other people thinking, you know, they're better than I am. They're better than I am. It's known as the imposter syndrome. Psychologists will talk about this, how it happens to people who are incredibly good and talented people that you start thinking, I'm really an imposter. I'm not that good. You start doubting yourself and questioning and it leads to great fear. And he talked about that and how in the end you have to kind of push that down. You got to deal with that fear. And how do you deal with it? Well, he's already had a great experience. You see, back in 2020, he was chosen to be the pilot of the SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule that was going to go to the space station. And he was going to be the first pilot for that. And he was so excited about going to the space station to truly fly in space. It goes all the way back to when he was a kid. I mean, when he was a kid growing up, first of all, his dad was a police officer. So he said to everybody, I'm going to be a police officer. And then his dad took him to Florida and they watched a launch of the space shuttle. And when he saw the launch of the space shuttle, he said, I want to drive that. He didn't know what a pilot was. He didn't know what a pilot does. He just saw the space, I want to drive it. And so he went to school, he got his education, he joined the Navy, became a fighter pilot, became a test pilot, and he was chosen in 2013 to be an astronaut. So now he was going to the space station, the thing he would dream. He would be the first African American to stay on the space station for an extended period of time. He was going to be there for six months. And to be there for six months, he had now made three spacewalks. And to make these spacewalks, he talked about it. You know, you put on your suit and they put you in this little room and then they suck all the air out of the room and then open the doors and you're able to step out into nothingness, outer space. He said, that'll make your heart pound. Stepping out truly into space. You're basically just moving about 17,000 miles an hour around the earth. It's, it's this amazing thing. Well, he talked about being on the space shuttle and this International Space Station and, and how do you just stay grounded and not be afraid? He had his secret how he did it, and I want to read it to you. Remember, this was during the pandemic that he went to the space station. He said, we all need to learn to lean on God, but we also need to lean on each other and be encouraging to one another. I sent up communion cups and my Bible. We have really good internet connectivity, so honestly, I'll continue what I've been doing. Online worship, online giving, reading my Bible, praying, and taking communion. And I thought, wow, we were so excited when we started going online, and we had people now worshiping here in Oklahoma City, and then realizing people were now worshiping all over the country, I hadn't thought about going to outer space. <laughs> here he's going to be doing the very same thing that he had been doing here on earth. And now just because he was in outer space, they had the internet. He was going to be still worshiping every single week and praying and reading his Bible and taking communion. He was just going to be doing it. 
Because he said, I want to stay close to God. And I want to stay close to a family of faith and friends. Fear not, for I am with thee. It's knowing you're not alone. It's the loneliness that increases your fears. Israel, you're not alone. Even captivity, fear not, I am with thee. Secondly, I will strengthen thee and help thee and cause thee to stand. The people of Israel are very clear. If they were ever going to go home to the promised land, if they were ever going to worship in the temple again, God would have to do that. In no way were they strong enough to overthrow the Babylonians. In no way would they be strong enough to overthrow the Persians, to resist them. No, if they were ever going to get to go home, it would be because of God. And they had no idea that Cyrus was going to come along and truly conquer the Babylonians. They wouldn't be caught up in war and destroyed. And the first thing Cyrus would do was issue an edict that said, if you've been captured from another country, you can go home. What? We're going home after all this time? The very thing they knew they could never accomplish themselves? They would give God thanks. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will cause thee to stand. Our fears grow when you and I look at the future and all the things we may have to deal with and we feel inadequate and we can't deal with it. The promise is, it's God who's going to give us the strength we need. It is God who seeks to give us the guidance we need, those things where we need our help into the future. It's about trusting in God's grace so that you can face your fears. And if you can face your fears and not be afraid because you know that you don't have to be the one who's going to figure everything out, then you find joy to confront the fears and still know joy. I came across a great story of a man named Stephen and his wife Viola. This is back in the 1930s and 40s. They were living in a small town in Ohio. And they had three kids, um, Neil and Drew and June. And they, they were just a good family. And one Sunday morning, they were always in church. They were active in church. Drew was feeling under the weather. Neil was about five years old then. And they had their little daughter. And so Viola said, I'll stay home with the kids, uh, the young ones, and why don't you take Neil and y'all go to church? Stephen thought that was a great idea. So they did. Went off to church. When they came back home around noon... Viola knew something had happened because his eyes were about this big around and, and he was just pale and Neil was just jumping up and down. And she looked at him for a moment and then she said, you went for an airplane ride, didn't you? See, back in those days, they would have the little county fairs and, and there was a, the, always the, uh, the tri-motor, the Ford tri-motor as a plane that went from fair to fair to fair to give people airplane rides and it was there in town. I bet you went for an airplane ride. Yep, sure did. Stephen was scared to death. Neil loved it. It was great fun for him. And so, you know, this issue of missing church to go for an airplane ride, I, I got to say, I don't condone that. <laughs> Actually, sometimes it's a pretty good idea, I think, really. I love flying. 
so they had done it and they got home and from then on Neil would take all of his allowance and he'd just build little airplanes. That was his hobby. And then when he turned 12 years old, well, he started going down to the airfield and there he started helping to wash planes to make money and doing any kind of little errands so he could try to get flying lessons. You can do that. In fact, you can get your license when you're 16. And he was determined to get his pilot's license before he got his uh, driver's license, which you can do. And so he was working really hard at that. And then it was a day that he and his father, Stephen, had been on a weekend Boy Scout camping trip. And they were coming home on a Sunday evening. And as they were coming home on a Sunday evening, they were driving by the airport and they noticed a person was out there practicing doing touch and goes. Little Cessna airplane, probably Cessna 152 coming in. You touch down, that's the touch. And then you take off, that's the go. You touch and go. You practice your landings and your takeoffs. And they saw this person practicing and Neil knew who it probably was. It was his friend who was trying to get his license as well. And as they were watching him, he came in and got a little too low and hit some power lines and caught the wheels, flipped the plane over, and it crashed into the field. And before Stephen could even get the car stopped, Neil had jumped out of the car, had leapt over the fence, was running across the field, and he pulled this boy out of the airplane. And he held him in his arms there in the field while he died. They waited until the ambulance came to take the boy, and then they went home. And when he walked into the back door, he fell into his mother's arms, and he just started to cry and cry and cry. When there finally was no more tears, he said to her, I want to just be alone. And they thought that's probably the best thing if he wants to do that, and he went up to his room and they didn't see him for two days. And finally, Viola, she, she felt she needed to talk to her son. So she baked a plate of cookies, and she went up to his room. Now, you need to know that her dream for her son was that he become a minister. She wanted her son to serve God, to serve the church. That was her dream for him. That was her prayer for him. And now she was hoping that maybe in this crisis, in this kind of tragedy, it would be a, a moment in his heart where he would hear God speak to him. With all of that on her heart, she went up and knocked on the door and he said, come in. And she went in and she was pleased to see him sitting there at the desk. He was working on a model airplane. And right beside him was a Sunday school literature. It was a fill in the blank. And she walked over as she's going to put the cookies down just to try to look over to see if, what can I see if he was writing here? And it was, what are the characteristics of Jesus? And the first one he'd written down was, he is close to God. And she thought, maybe he is feeling close to God. Maybe this will be that moment. And she sat the cookies down and they started to talk. And then finally she said, Neil, what about the flying? Then he turned and looked at her and said, Mom, I hope you and Dad can understand. I have to fly. I love flying. When I'm flying, I feel close to God. 
I think this is what God has called me to do, to fly. And in that moment, Viola was so afraid. All she could think about was a mother two blocks away, standing in a bedroom, thinking about a son who would never come home. She said a prayer and took a deep breath and she said, Neil, your father and I will support your flying. And when you get your license, I want to be your first passenger. And a month later, he had his license and she went flying with him, his first passenger. In spite of all the fears, they would support him. He would go into the service and he'd become a fighter pilot and a test pilot. And then he'd apply to be an astronaut. And Neil Armstrong was chosen as a part of the nine. You had the original or magnificent seven. The second group was called the nine. And Neil Armstrong was a part of that group. And it would be on June the 16th that his mother and father would travel to Florida to watch their son climb aboard the Apollo rocket that was going to take him all the way to the moon. And were they afraid? Absolutely. And were they so grateful that he was able to hear God's call and pursue his dream? Absolutely. To be able to confront their fears and now to know such joy. And we were all watching on July the 20th, that Sunday evening, when they landed on the moon and Neil Armstrong climbed down that little lunar lander. And when he got to the bottom rung, he said, it will be a small step for a man and a giant leap for mankind. And it has been. For we've all been reminded that if we can confront our fears, we can do great things and no joy. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.